Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. friends, Elisa Childers here. I am so excited to tell you about a new women's Bible study of the Psalms that I've been working my way through. Now don't let the designation women's Bible study fool you. This is legit. You're going to learn about Jewish culture and Hebrew poetry while participating in creative activities that connect the mind with the heart. And we get to talk about it with one of the authors, Jeannie Jones, on today's podcast. is someone who has, in a way, mentored me from afar. I have found encouragement and drawn great strength and wisdom from the messages she has sent out into the world through various articles and blog posts and just her general presence on social media. This is a woman you want to follow on social media, and I'll, f- I'll post some links where you can connect with her online in that way. So she's an author and a contributing writer for Crosswalk.com, and she's also written for Today's Christian Woman and Home Life. She speaks at women's events and conferences, and she's actually been teaching the Bible since she was in high school, and that is evident in the depth and knowledge that she brings to everything she speaks about and writes about. So it's an honor to have Jeannie Jones on the show today. So Jeannie, welcome. Thank you, Elisa. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, you know, I've, I've talked with your husband on the podcast before, and we talked about the problem of evil, which uh, was such a, a great book, Why Does God Allow Evil? I mean, to, to have a couple where you're both such powerhouses for theology and apologetics and truth is just really awesome. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you about something that's in your bio that I found really interesting. And it says that you ate and enjoyed rooster claws and century eggs in Asia. And I, I just have to say that a couple of weekends ago, it was a long weekend, and my, my little boy, he's six, he loves hard-boiled eggs. 
It's just, I mean, he could gobble them up all day long. So I send them in his lunch sometimes. Well, usually when the kids get home from school, I take their lunches out and kind of reset for the day. But I forgot and I left the bag of eggs in his backpack all weekend. And so three days later, I'm wondering, what is this horrible smell in the car? And I open it up and it's the eggs. It's the hard boiled eggs that smell like rotting corpse. And so I know what three-day eggs are like, so I'm wondering what are century eggs like? <laughs> Actually, they were quite good. When, whenever we go to a new place, we try to go to restaurants and say, okay, what's, uh, what's special to this place? We want to we try new foods. And so it was really fun. The rooster claws, well, those were, those were easy. Those were just regular yeah. big rooster claws. But the century egg, I don't know how they prepare it, but they, they wrap it in something. It's not actually 100 years. But uh, they wrap it in something and leave it a really, really long time, and it preserves them like like uh, the same way that you ferment uh, vegetables. It's somehow fermented and changed, so the white becomes this dark gelatin, and the yolk turns into this really creamy substance. And there, it was actually delicious. So, can you describe the flavor of that? <laughs> it was it was sweeter than a regular hard boiled egg. It oh, it was okay. it was actually quite good, but somewhat sweeter. And uh, they had some little toppings on top. I don't know what they were. Many of the things I ate in Asia, I did not know what they were. I just ate them. <laughs> oh my goodness, you were well. You're way more adventurous than I am because I'd be like, um, no. <laughs> but, but I'm glad that you have that experience that you can describe for us. So. Uh, for my listeners, I was first introduced to your work uh, after your husband had shared one of your articles on Facebook, and it had to do with responding to progressive writer Rachel Held Evans about Abraham. She had basically made the claim in one of her blog posts that when God tested Abraham uh, by being willing to sacrifice his son, Abraham actually failed the test that God was testing Abraham to see if he would do it. And because he was willing to do it, he actually failed. So you actually responded with a five-part series response to her, which was absolutely phenomenal, theologically deep and solid. And you covered every aspect of it. And I'm just curious, you know, there aren't a lot of people responding to a lot of progressive writers that I can find. What, how did you come across her work and what inspired you to go ahead and write that five-part series? I think Clay was the one that found her blog where uh, the name of the blog was something like, um, I would fail Abraham's test and so would you. And mm. when I read it, my heart just broke uh, mm. that she was trying to prove that the Bible was false uh, because this story could not be um, genuine if there was a loving God. And I'm looking at that going, you don't know the theology behind this. Mm. And Clay was going to write a response and I said, no, as I look at some of other her, his, excuse me, as I looked at some of her other blogs, I saw that she has um, uh, kind of an antagonism towards white males that are mm -hmm. educated. And I thought, well, you know what? Hispanic female, that's the person to go ahead and, and talk to her then. There you so go. That, yeah, so that's why I decided to go ahead and address it because I wasn't in the area where she felt like, these guys are just bullying me because they're white males. Well, okay. the patriarchy or something like that. Exactly. So that's why that's why I wrote it. And I don't tend to do anything short. It's very, very difficult for me to write anything <laughs> short. So it ended up being five. So 
but yeah, um, well, I, I thought it was fantastic. Do you do you happen to know if that ever made it across her way, or if did you have any response from the progressive or liberal world on what you wrote? No, I gave her a link, and some people tweeted my blog uh, with her name on it, so she could see it. So if she ever wanted to see it, she she could have. But I don't. I don't. I have no idea if she did. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I loved what you wrote and I thought it was excellent. And so of course my ears perked up when I heard that you were writing a woman's Bible study guide uh, about the Psalms with a couple of other women, Pam Farrell and uh, Carla Dornicker. So I got the book, I dove in and honestly, I've just been blown away. I actually get excited about waking up in the morning. It's the first thing I do in the morning is your Psalms book. And so I'm working my way through it now. And, uh, you know, this is not meant as a despair, as a disparaging remark to other women's Bible studies, but, you know, my expectation for women's Bible studies is not typically very high. And um, so I was genuinely surprised, not surprised because I knew it was you, but I knew it would be awesome. But I mean, I have learned some legit scholarly stuff about the Psalms. And the, what I love about this book is you all present it the, the scholarly information in a way that's in, engaging and interesting and, and very interactive. Um, so you don't even realize how academic it is uh, because you're so good at connecting the heart and the mind. So the book is called Discovering Hope in the Psalms, A Creative Bible Study Experience. And you can buy this on Amazon or on Jeannie's website. That's jeanejones.net, J-E-A-N-E. J-O-N-E-S dot net. So Jeannie, you've written a lot about the Psalms that have culminated into this study. So what inspired you to write this study with your co-contributors? Well, a couple of years ago, I was attending a large church and we had a a fairly significantly sized women's ministry. And um, the women's ministry director asked me to write a lesson because we were a couple lessons short for uh, what we were studying at the time. And I thought, great, this will be so fun, because I was already teaching computers, and I was used to writing um, manuals on how to learn software and hardware and stuff like that, and so I had that kind of a background, and so I just jumped right in and um, absolutely loved it, and I ended up, the assignment that she gave me was Psalm 71, and as I dove into it and studied it, all of a sudden I saw oh my goodness, this guy knows how to pray. And he became Mm. my mentor in prayer. I just realized this is something that is ultra important for everybody and I need to start praying that way. So that's what I did. I started praying that way. Now, I always put in all of my lessons, whether it's for computers or, or, or for Bible studies, lots of action steps because nobody ever learns anything simply by reading it or hearing it. It's just not possible. And I thought, for a psalm study, the best action step would be to write out a psalm. And so I had everybody do it, but I didn't tell them. Um, ah. I just had them write, write in the margin, you know, their prayers as they were going on. And on the last page, I said, congratulations, you did it. You've just written a psalm. Everybody came back <laughs> so excited, and I realized there is a need for this. So I wanted mm. to do it uh, ever since. And I think you asked me about Pam and, and Carla and how we got connected. I, want, mm-hmm. I, I finished the Bible study. In its entirety, because uh, of the church I was at, they were asking me to to write another Bible study. They'd already done two that I'd written. And uh, I I wanted to get it published. And so I showed it to my girlfriend, Pam, Pam Farrell, and asked her what she thought, if it was ready. And she says, oh, yeah, this is going to work, but you need to add lots more creative uh, information than you've got there. She took it to her publisher, Harvest House, 
they said they wanted to do it because it had um, a lot more depth than uh, is often typical, and they wanted to get into that market. And they also mm -hmm. brought in Pam's friend, Carla, who's an amazing artist. And that's how it all came together. Wow, that that is awesome. And what I love about it, too, is that for the listeners who may not be familiar with it, it's not like a, a typical book you buy and just read through. It's actually a work. It's kind of like a workbook, right? Would you describe it that way? Yeah. So well, it's, well, it's a study guide or a discovery guide, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's bigger, you know, it's bigger like actual work pages. And what I love about it is that there's a lot of very practical questions. You'll read through a Psalm and then it'll be something as simple as like, okay, in verse four, what happens to the wicked? And I've realized as I'm going through this workbook, how often I don't even really think about that, those questions, it's like, what happens to the wicked? And you go back and you're like, well, duh, you know, why didn't I just process that? Yeah. So asking the practical questions really helps. But then you bring it into the realm of the personal. And I, I wrote my first Psalm, you know, after reading that first chapter, and it's not nearly as good as yours, but you know, it's a start. And, and that really was challenging for me. And what's interesting is I'm a songwriter, but it still challenged me to, to the way that it was laid out. I've never done anything like that. And so it really caused me to dive into Psalm 1, really discover what was going on there. And, and I think you even said in your book when you were talking about Psalm 71, the psalmist knew something that you didn't know. Yeah. And, and so I've, I'm discovering that too as I go along, um, that there's a lot of depth in the Psalms that, that are, like you said, this is how we pray. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit just about the Psalms. So, so why were the Psalms written? Were they written as prayers or what was the purpose of, of them being written in ancient Israel? Right. That is a great question. Um, people who loved God turned their prayers and praises into written Psalms so that other people could worship with them and they could all worship together as a community. The temple had three choir masters and these choir masters gathered the Psalms together in collections to use for different purposes. So they did this because it would teach the people how to prepare their hearts when they're about to confess sin and make a sacrifice. And it would teach them how to pray whenever times are getting difficult. And it also taught them, and this is important, it taught them how to give thanks when God answered the prayer. They would give thanks communally so that God really got the glory. Um, they, uh, the Psalms also teach history. They teach doctrine. Uh, specifically, they teach the history of how God reaches out to people to rescue them. And they bring people to know him. So they're very, very important. Yeah. So so we're sort of invited into that corporate worship and prayer when we read the Psalms and when we kind of understand what, what it is we're reading, right? Yes. So um, now there are different types of Psalms. Not every Psalm is, you know, one thing. So what are the different types of Psalms and what purposes did they have? Okay. Um, it depends on which scholar you're reading. The, the, okay. two, yeah, the two basic types are the praises and the laments. And the laments are the prayer request psalms, the psalms about life having gone wrong. Um, but beyond that, you can also group the psalms into other categories based on their content. So the, uh, there are thanksgivings, which are um, psalms that give thanks for God having answered the lament. So they God answered right. a prayer, and so now they're giving thanks for that. There's hymns which describe how uh, great God is. There are enthronement psalms, which are psalms that celebrate God as the ruler. There's wisdom psalms, which are psalms that teach us how to live wisely. Uh, Torah psalms, which that's what Psalm 1 is, which is a type of wisdom psalm that's all about the goodness of God's instructions. Confidence songs, 
such as Psalm 23, which reminds us of uh, God's loving care and, and a few others. They overlap a lot, but those are the, yeah. those are the basic categories. I'm always so thankful for this, the lament psalms because yes, you know, talk a little bit about the lament psalms. Like, what, what, how, sh- how should we read those, and what should our response be, and how does that really affect our own prayers? Yeah, Psalm seventy-one and uh, is probably my f- well. There's two. I it, it's Psalm, Psalms forty-two, forty-three together with Psalm seventy-one are my two favorite laments. The, the laments are about life having gone wrong. Uh, the, the psalmist will question God and say, okay, what's happened here? Now, why did you let that happen? And I want to understand. But then they do something really amazing. They, their prayers have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the middle is usually the most important part. And their, their prayers are leading up to a place of hope. And then they celebrate that place of hope. It's really amazing. So the Psalms teach you how to pray in uh, a way that isn't just a worry fest and uh, isn't just a, oh no, everything's going wrong, but they teach you how to pray in a way that is dependent on God's character and that raises your hope. So they, they leave you feeling hopeful and peaceful afterwards. Um, that, so I, I just love them. They're amazing. Yeah. Wow. And you've kind of answered this a little bit already, but... Um, why, if you could just kind of encapsulate your answer, why are the Psalms important for us today? Oh, yeah. They're very, very important for us today. First, the Psalms teach us how to pray honestly and earnestly. Too many people think that prayers ought to be confessions of perfect faith. And mm. I actually used to think that. I thought my prayers had to be, I trust you totally, God. I know this is all going to work out, and I trust you totally. And I wasn't honest about my feelings, but the Psalms show mm. us how to pray honestly in a way that actually increases faith. So instead of saying, yeah, I trust you perfectly, I admit, okay, my trust isn't perfect right now, God, and I want it to get to where you want it to be. So through the Psalms, I can look and see how a psalmist uh, showed where he was doubting and how he got to a place of trust. And that brings me right over to, okay, here are my honest doubts. I'm laying them out before you, God. Now we can look at where I'm wrong and, and where the truth is about you and how you're going to take care of me. So that increases faith and it increases hope. Um, second, the Psalms teach us really godly habit, habits, such as examining our lives and turning from sin. Uh, third, they show us how to give thanks. Fourth, they teach us how um, they teach us what God's character is like and who mm-hmm. He really is. So those are, those are the reasons why the Psalms are essential today. Yeah. Uh, so in your study, we mentioned this a minute ago, but you encourage the reader to write their own psalms. Why? Why is that? Because the psalms were created in order to teach us how to pray. <laughs> That's their purpose. Writing out a prayer psalm step by step and then praying it at the end of the lesson is a wonderful way to learn how to pray psalms. Um, the, study, the study guide, Discovering Hope in the Psalms, has 10 psalms, all of which build hope. And my prayer is that everyone that's going through the book's lessons will come out with confidence in praying psalms. And godly women in the Bible, including Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, and Mary, all wrote psalms. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yes. How about that? We have women psalm writers. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of women psalm writers, I've, you posted a blog. I can't remember what it's called or what the title was, but it was on the subject of writing your own psalm. And you posted different psalms from yourself and other women. And I was so blessed 
reading these different Psalms, just kind of seeing where this person's heart was at and how this person kind of took the same um, assignment and just came up with something so different. And I related with each one. So it's it's been a practice I've started to try to do, and, and I've really gotten a lot out of it spiritually. So I want to thank you for encouraging your readers to do that. You're welcome. Um, so how many of your own have you written? And um, you've kind of answered this already, but if there's anything else you want to say about what value they, they've had in your own personal life in your walk with Christ. Right. Now, most of the time I pray the Psalms without writing them. And that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to show people how to do in the book. Here's how to pray the Psalms so that they can use them all the time. But That being said, there are times when I want to write psalms. Um, For instance, in times of crises, like when my husband had cancer, uh, I wrote a psalm based on Psalm 71, which begins with, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. That was so helpful to get all my requests down in one place and then to uh, examine how God's character met those requests Uh, and move and then uh, actually move into a place of hope and be able to express that in a prayer. The feeling of hope and peace then stayed with me for a while. And when something new happened and seemed to go wrong, I'd grab that prayer again that I'd written and pray it again, and the peace could come back. So um, I think writing psalms uh, during crises is particularly helpful. It's one one of my favorite things to do. I also write psalms if my prayers are becoming worry fests because it stops me from just spinning round and round and round something and going, God, I need your help, I need your help. And instead gets me to um, actually look at how God's in control of the situation. So it refocuses me. I like uh, Psalm 42's refrain in particular. Why are you to cast down on my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hoping God, for I will again uh, uh, praise him. Um, Another time I'll write psalms, and this is what you saw for the, uh, that was on my website, is when something in scripture strikes me as particularly profound, um, mm-hmm. then I'll br- write a psalm based on one of the wisdom psalms, such as, such as Psalm 1. So, yeah, and the, the instructions to do that are on my website. I don't remember the name, <laughs> but it's something like, why, wrote, why write wisdom, five reasons to write wisdom psalms. Yes, I think that was it. And I will post a link to that. Uh, article in the podcast notes so people can find it. Um, and then again, you can find all of this on Jeannie's website, jeanniejones.net. I'm sorry. Yeah. J-E-A-N-E jones.net. So um, the book has these different features that make it really interesting. It's not just reading through one thing. There's question and answers. There's um, just sort of applicational things. There's there's creative uh, assignments to, to kind of apply what you've learned creatively. But one of my favorite things about the book is this little details on the sidebars. And so you get these little snippets of information. So how did you come up with the idea for the, the little details sidebars? When I was teaching computer classes, I noticed that I generally had two kinds of students. And this is what I would tell my classes. I'd say, okay, there's two kinds of students in this room, the wanna-knows and the don't-wanna-knows. The wanna-knows have to understand all the background of everything before they can remember anything. And so they're gonna want a lot more detail. And then there are don't wanna knows, and they just need to know the basic steps. The rest of it just clutters their mind and gets in their way, and they've got more important things to do. So (laughs) in this class, every once in a while, I'm going to come to something that only the wanna knows need to know. So I'm gonna tell the rest of you, 
just take a nap for a moment. I'll wake you up when it's time to go on. <laughs> and they would, everybody would laugh. But then I'd actually do it. I, somebody would ask a question that the rest of the class wasn't going to be interested in. Or, or somebody, uh, I'd come to a topic that only a few people needed to know because it was detailed and technical. So I'd say, okay, now all you don't want to know is go to sleep for a moment. It's time for a nap. And they'd laugh, <laughs> but you'd see them visually relax. Uh, since I taught in uh, a corporate setting, people sometimes came in really nervous. Am I going to be able to really learn this? Um, and I'm, oh, am I going to get in trouble with my boss if I don't learn this well? And so they would be tense. But letting them know the next thing I was going to talk about wasn't going to be essential to their job caused them to relax. And I saw a lot of people absorbed that information anyway. And then the want to knows, they would lean forward in their chair and they would get really intent and grab their pencil and be taking all these notes because they really did want to know that technical information. It, it was something they had to slide in uh, in order to, to put all of the how-tos on top of so that they could go further in, yeah. uh, in doing themselves. So I wanted to bring that into the book. Uh, so I took the stuff that Perhaps people that were just poetry lovers, I put the details of poetry up in sidebars so that um, those that aren't particularly in love with poetry can skip it. And I put a lot of the historical background and stuff that seasoned Christians will want to know up in the sidebars, but it might be a little overwhelming for a new Christian, depending on their mindset. So that's, that's why. Well, I'm definitely a want to know Yay. kind of person. So yeah, so that's one of my favorite features. Oh, good. I'm so um, glad. Yeah, and I also love too. Uh, in the, I think it might have even been the first lesson. I've, I mean, I've taken seminary classes on, um, not specifically on the Psalms, but Bible on Bible, certain books of the Bible and theology and interpretation and all this. But I've never really fully understood um, the. How is it said? Is it the? Is it a chiasm? Is that how you say a chiasm? it? Chiasm. Uh huh. Chiasm. I mean, I get it in theory, but you actually had us outline the sentences and make the X. And I was like, that's a chiasm. That's it's a it's an attribute of Hebrew poetry. So I I for the first time understood what that was because it was such a visual and interactive little exercise that helped me really get what that was. Yeah. So, and yeah. that wasn't even in the sidebar, but it was sort of just as part of the exercise, but it was very Yeah, very that's helpful. that's actually an essential to understand if you're going to understand yeah. uh, Hebrew poetry. So I put that right in the um middle. Right yeah, in the and it was easy to do too. And I was just, it just really made it make sense for the first time. Cause I've, I've read a bunch about it and I sort of get it, but that really brought it home. So, um, yeah, so just again, such a great book. So, uh, I want to talk about what I call the atheist's favorite psalm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I hear this a lot. In fact, just recently, I had posted some kind of a blog post. I don't even remember which one it was. And an atheist came on and said, oh, okay, great. So what do you want to say about Psalm 137? And it's, it's essentially used, like the reason I call it the atheist's favorite psalm is because often atheists just delight to, to discover that somebody wrote the words I'm going to read in just a second, because in a way, in their minds, it accuses God of being immoral or, or evil or unjust or just plain old mean, because that's the image of the God of the Old Testament they have in their mind. So I'm going to read this, just a couple of lines from the song, the, the atheist's favorite lines from the atheist's favorite psalm, <laughs> and then I'll let you comment on what is this talking about. So Psalm 137 says, O daughter of Babylon, 
who are to be destroyed, happy is the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy is the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. So, Jean, take it away. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is a difficult psalm, and it's one that causes Christians to uh, blanch sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding the, the psalm's purpose is essential. In your podcast with Clay Jones, uh, not too long ago, you were talking about the uh, what happened um, with the sins of the, of the Canaanite. You were also talking mm-hmm. about how God... Um, warned the Israelites, if you ever start doing these same things, if you ever start doing these things wrong that the Canaanites are doing, I'm going to drive you out of the land. You don't Mm -hmm. get to just uh, live here and pretend to be my follower and start doing these really horrific evil things, start oppressing the poor, start uh, accepting bribes uh, uh, instead of justice, start doing all these things, horrible things to children, including sacrificing their children to the god Moloch. You don't get to do any of those things and call yourself my people. So if you start doing those things, I will drive you out out of the land. So um, when, when, when God first started warning them, okay, you're venturing into these areas, and if you continue, I'm going to destroy you, the people didn't believe it at first. They said, nah, nah, we got the temple, we're giving our sacrifices, all we have to do is sacrifice um, for our sins, and God forgives us, and we're good. Uh, God would never destroy the people, even though Moses said... God will drive you out of the land if you do these things. Mm. So then the um, prophets began to say, Babylon is going to come because you guys have forsaken God, and Babylon is going to destroy you. The um, prophets were a little shocked that God would use such an evil nation because Babylon had a habit of going around to all the nations that they conquered. They wanted to to build an empire, excuse me, and they would go through and terrorize the people by dashing their children on the rocks. Now, this had been going on for a long time, uh, mm-hmm. a century or two earlier. That had been going on a lot. That was how um, the the kings who wanted to take over large areas would terrorize the other populations to get them to just bow down to them and let them come in and take over. So that was a real common thing. But when... so. Babylon came in, and the prophets foretold that that was going to happen. So the purpose of this psalm is that the psalmist was one of the exiles who had seen Babylon come in and destroy Jerusalem, burn the temple, and dash the Jewish babies on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Now they were all exiled, and they were trying to deal with this this, uh, exile of being away from God's land and of being in a place where they're absolutely grieving over everything they saw. They'd uh, seen the Babylonian uh, soldiers slaughter their loved ones. Um, To prevent an uprising, the soldiers forced all of the survivors out of their homes and moved them far away to Babylon. They did that to every nation they conquered. Mm. Um, That way they they couldn't uh, revolt and and put up their own army. So... Mm. That's the background. The psalmist is trying to help the survivors, the exiles, find a way to deal with their grief. Okay, with that as the background, why then did he still use such horrific language? And there are a number number of reasons. I'll just give you five. The first is that the imagery symbolizes the horrors that the Jews suffered. Remember, this is poetry. Poets use gut-wrenching language so others will feel what they feel. The psalmist chose one horror to symbolize all the horrors that the Jews suffered. 
namely their murdered babies, which is probably the worst thing that they saw. This type of symbolism, using one thing to represent everything else, is called synecdoche, and it's a very common uh, poetic device, even, even in English uh, poetry it's used a lot, but it's used a lot in Hebrew poetry. Second, the imagery shows trust in the prophet's promises. The prophets who foretold that uh, Judah was going to be exiled also foretold that it, the exile would last just 70 years and then Babylon would fall and the exiles would return home. Here the psalmist chose Synecdoche again. He chose mm -hmm. just one prophecy to represent all of them. And uh, the prophecy that he chose was Isaiah 13, 16, written 100 years earlier, that said Babylon's, quote, infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes, unquote. That meant Babylon was going to be ended. The rule was going to end. So the psalmist comforts the exiles by reminding them that the prophets promised an end to their suffering. The third reason, the third uh, reason that the psalmist uses such horrific language is the imagery represents eye for eye justice. Mm -hmm. The Jewish justice system was talionic or eye for eye. Now the main reason for talionic justice uh, was to prevent people from taking revenge too far. It's like, oh, you knocked out my husband's eye, now I'm going to kill you. That, right, right. that was unjust, it went too far. But the Jews had an expectation that God in his justice would repay wrongdoers in a manner that fit the crime. Since the Babylon Babylonians killed their babies, they expected God to kill the Babylonian babies too. Um, and one thing that's important here is the Babylonians didn't just kill the Jew, Jews' babies. They killed the, the infants of all the nations around. So this was seen as a a really yeah. horrific uh, thing that the Babylonians were doing. It's important to notice that the psalmist wasn't asking for the right to take revenge. He's mm -hmm. demonstrating that he expects God to work justice. Right. So fourth, the imagery represents the end of a dynasty, the rule of the Babylonian uh, emperor. The children that Isaiah was speaking of was those of the royal house. So it depicts the end of the royal house. Uh, and fifth, the word happy or blessed is best understood by what actually happened historically. And that is at the end of the 70 years, at the end of the 70 year exile, Cyrus the Great invaded Babylon and took over. When he did so, his soldiers killed very few outside the royal fam family. And the reason is even the Babylonians hated their leaders. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, both the Babylonians and the captives rejoiced when Cyrus came. They threw a huge party. So yeah. the, the royal family died, and that's just about it, because everybody considered Cyrus a liberator, not a conqueror, and in that way they considered him happy and blessed. Wow. <laughs> I mean, to say that was an amazing and thorough answer is an understatement. That was fantastic. So um, as we close out here, do you have a favorite psalm? Um, psalm 30 is right now my favorite. Psalm 71 was my favorite for years and years. Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving, and the beginning of it reminds me of how God saved me. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it just it just makes me joyful every time I pray it and read it. 
uh, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. My dad was an atheist who said he could destroy my faith if ever I tried to turn mm. to Christianity. Um, and the way that he brought me out of that and turned everything out, I, I just love it. That psalm just it makes my heart sing. Oh, man. Well, it has been an absolute delight to talk to you today. The book is called Discovering Hope in the Psalms, a Creative Bible Study Experience. Again, you can get that on Amazon or on Jeannie's website, jeanniejones.net. Jeannie, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure. You're welcome, Elisa. listening to this podcast and would like to sign up to receive my blog posts and podcasts by email, you can go to alisachilders.com and click the subscribe button, or you can simply subscribe to the Alisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.